Today's podcast is brought to you by Horizons Resolve Adaptive Asset Allocation ETF, which trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol HRAA and is sub-advised by Resolve Asset Management. HRAA is an alternative fund whose investment objective is to seek long-term capital appreciation by investing directly or indirectly in major global asset classes, including, but not limited to, equity indices, fixed income indices, interest rates, commodities, and currencies. HRAA gains exposure to these asset classes by investing in derivative instruments that may include future contracts and forward agreements and securities. HRAA will take long or short positions, using up to a maximum of three times leverage in asset classes such as equity indices and fixed income asset classes, commodities, currencies, volatility indices, and other alternative asset classes. HRAA could provide balance to your portfolio by harnessing three unique investment styles. The first is an actively managed global risk parity portfolio to provide maximally diversified global exposure in optimal risk balance. The second is a proprietary systematic global macro process that attempts to profit from short-term market moves, going both long and short on more than 50 global markets. Finally, HRAA uses a dynamic tail protection overlay that attempts to profit from large moves in volatility markets. To learn more about this, please visit www.horizonsetfs.com HRAA to read about the ETF's investment objectives and important disclaimers about the risks associated with an investment in the ETF. Hello and welcome to Gestalt University, hosted by Adam Butler, Mike Philbrick, and Rodrigo Gordillo of Resolve Asset Management Global. This podcast will dig deep to uncover investment truths and life hacks you won't find in mainstream media, covering topics that appeal to left-brain robots, right-brain poets, and everything in between, all with the goal of helping you reach excellence. Welcome to the journey. Happy all Friday, right, boys. All right. Happy Friday. Welcome, Wes. Cheers. Thank you for having me. It's been about Beers a up year. on Friday. Yeah. Cheers, man. I got a little light it. sky. It's like a citrus wheat beer, low carb. And, uh, yeah, I know. We're all old trying to keep our girlish figures intact. None, none of us yeah. drink a real beer. <laughs> well, I see you they with a terrible. Is it too strong light? for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, the, the Corona is too strong for me, too, man. I'm dying here. Um, <laughs> It, it, I actually got another call at like five for like official business. So I can't be actually drinking too much. So, uh, oh, yeah, no, no, just, just the right amount. You want to just drink yeah, the right yeah, amount. You want to loosen up. Yeah. Yes, and, and just exactly. to, just to remind everybody who's, who happened to tune into these uh, three scallywags talking on a Friday afternoon, none of what we're going to talk about is investment advice or in any way nature factual. It is entirely entertainment. So that's right. <laughs> there you go. And with that, we're going to talk about lots of different stuff. Who knows? Yeah. Just, you know, a few things. We, uh, Wes, thank you for coming last minute. Uh, we had a last minute cancellation. I know you and uh, Patrick and your team were trying really hard to get everybody on. I think Patrick's going to join us hopefully in the next 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. He got he'll, he'll be back. here. I'm, uh, he's in the middle of doing some last minute work, but he'll be on probably 15, 20, I imagine. Awesome. And I know you guys are working on big, big deals uh, that we were hoping to talk about in detail in this podcast, but not yet. We have to wait for some regulatory approvals before we get into the details, but that is already hooked up for a podcast, hopefully in the next week or so. Uh, So we'll focus on uh, everything else, Uh, your core, your core business. Uh, I, I am actually dying to get a brief history of Alpha Architects and Wes Gray. 
because I, I was talking to my wife today of uh, the first time we spoke and it was when I joined Mike and Adam in like 2011 and we're all starting this business together. Like we actually grew up together yeah. in, this, in this space, right? I remember you guys were hawking, uh, or not hawking, sorry, educating oh, yeah. one of our, our longtime yeah. clients about, uh, <laughs> and he's like, man, you got to get on this phone call and listen to these guys. They're talking about, you know, mean variance analysis, efficient frontiers. You know, and at the time I was a prof and that's what I used to teach all day. And, and I, and I, you know, I, you guys were good, man. I was like, yeah, these like, they know. What I, I, I'll about. tell you one thing that, that came out of that call that mm-hmm. we have adopted at result is as we were walking you through what we walked your client through at the time, you kept saying, yep, yep. I'm tracking. I'm tracking. That <laughs> lives on, on a weekly basis at resolve. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Dragon, Such a yeah. military man. Love yeah, it. that's true. That, that's I think that's a marine marineism thing. I'm tracking. Oh, I'm tracking awesome. on that. I'm tracking. It's definitely something uh, they say in the service. Hasn't left so, me. So let's go. Let's start with like. Tell me a little bit about memory lane because I, I want to go from the beginning. You you actually left academia to start something, and you guys have. Yeah. What I've always found really interesting over the years is you constantly reach out to us to try new things. Hey, what do you think of this? Let's do like a win-win. Why don't we try this other thing? Like you've done a bunch of pivots, like the the definition of a VC. And I feel like, you know, you finally hit on something that's really working for you. Um, And so why don't you give us a little bit of that history and that background? It's really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, you guys uh, taught me about trend falling and we've just kind of adopted that in our business is is the easiest way to put it. But so, I mean, so we're going way back to the beginning. Um, how did this popsicle stand start? Well, I literally was doing what you guys do, writing a blog and got cold called by a billionaire who, who said, hey, you know, I'm firing all these hedge fund people. It's after 08. Uh, I read your blog. I read your dissertation. You know, can we talk? You know, I said, sure, we could talk. <laughs> so that was 2010. And then that was also right when I was starting up as a professor. So as I was literally on the professor markets, I'm getting like starting a business essentially at the same time. But, you know, but you never know where the business is going. So I was like, I'll be a, I'll be a prof officially. That was 2010. And then we spent two years where it's just pure research, really. We were just really working on behalf of the family to like make sure, you know, what, what was they're getting pitched, what we were doing, et cetera. 2012, we got seeded SMAs, and it was all like you guys, inbound marketing, you know, random rich person would reach out, read a book. They're like, hey, this is cool. How do I do that? And that's just because that's all we knew how to do. Um, and then 2013 came around. Uh, one of our clients had a big tax issue related to uh, like a single stock position that had a super low basis. Um, and he's like, and, and that security was going to actually get bought out in a cash merger. And so, and I was always like the tax guy, like, Hey, solve this, figure it out. I was like, well, <laughs> that's kind of a hard one, man. Like, like you have a $2 million <laughs> position, it's worth 80 and it's, yeah. there's a cash buyout announcement yeah. coming. Like, what am I going to do? But you know, I, you know, the rich person says, jump, you say how high, which is what I did. Um, and then I, I went, I was at a conference and I learned about, you can't do this transaction. I would have say you could probably never do it, but I, through a conversation, I learned about ETF, and I learned about this whole thing of in-kind custom crates, and you could like put a security in a fund, 
and then you could kick it out without having a tax. And I was like, holy cow, this is a tax deferral vehicle. We need to get in this business. And, and again, that was around 2013, but we were broke, didn't have anything. And then we obviously talked to some lawyers, as you guys probably have, and like, oh, yeah, set up an ETF. Like, you don't just do that. And so we ended up raising some capital from one of our clients, who's, who's now one of our business partners as well. And then we got into the ETF business because of the taxes, really. And so we transitioned back and then estimated ETFs. Because I remember we were also at the time, you and I were talking about yeah. the uh, yeah, insurance, international insurance companies mm-hmm. and using that as a yep. vehicle to try to you know transition. Yeah, that was another way to do it with like uh, private placement, life insurance, uh, private yeah. placement, variable annuities. And those are also awesome. And, you know, we, we still are, are, we think those are good structures, but the ETF was just, is just better for our purposes. We thought that's where the business was going because we're doing factors, right? Active yeah. factors. So then we got in that business and, and, you know, that was, as you guys know, a long slog for, for I don't even know, like eight years now. Um, and then, you know, and so, so now, now over time, we, we, we still have our legacy SMA business Then we moved into like, the, like our ETF business. And, you know, I don't know, it's probably two and a half years ago now. Everyone knows Perth. Perth had reached out because we had always had people ask us like, hey, can you just let us use your infrastructure? Because we don't want to, you know, burn millions of dollars on fire. And we're like, nah, we don't want to deal with other people. Yeah, no, no, we were one of the no's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it was a lot of people. Yeah, it, it was we were one of the no's. We went somewhere and did it. And you said, well, yeah. what did you do that for? I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. You, Tons yeah. of brain damage. Um, but Perth is very persuasive and persistent. And long story short, but she got all the things that we, we needed to, to do it. And we're like, you know what? Let's try it. Um, and, and so we did that, what, two and a half years ago. And then it, it turned out we're just idiots because one of the benefits of surviving in, you know, the terror dome here for the last seven, eight years is we were able to vertically integrate, you know, build every little component of the ecosystem, know where all the bodies are buried and survive. I.e. we have extremely low cost infrastructure and capability that a lot of people don't. Well, I don't know why we were keeping that as a cost center because we can turn that into a revenue center and we're actually a lot better, frankly, at ops checklists, getting shit done than we are obviously at selling ETFs because we don't have billions of dollars in our ETFs. So, so then we're like, you know what? We should be shovel salesmen. <laughs> Why are we being gold yeah, miners? Picks and shovels, we're, baby. Yeah, we're not that great at, at, at gold mining, frankly. You know, our products are too crazy and, and you know, it's just whatever. Um, and then we've just been lucky because, you know, we had that unique ability of like low cost access and that's just what we do. And then we're just hitting this time where like everyone on the planet needs to get into the ETF wrapper. Right. And so, so, and, and that's just good luck. So, you know, started with Perth, but now it's like RAAs want to transition, mutual funds want to transition, hedge funds want to transition. Everyone on the planet wants to launch an ETF. And as you guys know, it's their iShares isn't going to launch your ETF. Vanguard's not going to launch your ETF. And the number of people who actually have vertically integrated capability across the stack to run and, and operate an ETF, I can count them on one hand. Um, you know, and we all have different value propositions and they're all great. And I love my competitors. And so that's what we do now. We're, you know, it's called ETF architect. Um, I don't know that's what awesome. the next adventure will hold, but uh, I see it's a great journey. 
Yeah. And, it was so, a few I, other I things along the way, architect. Too. I, I get it. I, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's so difficult to... When we, I remember we tried to launch an ETF uh, before we took another path, and we did yeah. go through the whole process, spent the $50,000 on Eagle, had the prospectus oh, launch. We were ready to pull the trigger. We sent the trading blotter, and they're like, oh, you can't trade those things. Right? Yeah. It was one of those like, what? How can we... We just spent all this money and all this time. You're like, well, you're not yeah, allowed to because of this. A and lot then, like, of that probably should have been addressed with legal in the first couple of weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was just, and it, it was a wild, wild west back then. I think there was less um, integration with the partner that we chose at the time. But yeah. it, it, it is a wild jungle full of pitfalls, right? That, yes. that is, and, and depending on what you're trading, where you're trading, you know, it, it becomes you need somebody with expertise and, and that type of vertical integration well, the, that you guys have definitely built. Yeah. brings up a, a big question. I mean, I, maybe it's too early for this question, but I mean, there's a lot of different types of ETFs mm -hmm. and a lot of different nuances between what the underlying purchases will be. We've had lots of experience in that Canada with commodities, uh, certainly yep. things like the DBO in, in the U S have gone through several iterations of how they approach that versus sort of your, your sort of classic, Hey, I want to buy 25 stocks or 50 stocks. Here's my basket. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess we, I guess the ETF landscape has gone through that arc of development from first ETFs with stocks, uh, then then you know some ETNs um, getting into the commodity space, and then the active ETFs with Kathy Wood. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's been this kind of progression um, that we've seen. But in how how is how is uh, ETF Architect sort of thought through that process, and what's the What's the landscape look like for that business as as the complexity of the product expands? Yeah, so I mean, we always try. We don't have interest in putting people in the ETF wrapper just because we can sell them a shovel. Because because in the end, like you know, when you run a platform, you're like getting married, and and everyone's in the same boat, and we're we're in the long game, and so we're not going to put someone on our platform in the short run just because they say they want to pay for it, even though we're like, well, why would you do that? ETF's not the right wrapper. You should do that in a mutual fund or a hedge fund. Or, so, so a lot of the times on our platform specifically, we will tell them, no, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do micro caps because guess what? Susquehanna will fleece you and you will die. You want to do managed futures. Well, you shouldn't do that either because you can't use the leverage and it's totally constrained. And it's I think that was your no to us, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we're not going to have someone get into the ETF wrapper just because they think it's a good idea if it's not appropriate for the strategy, right? Yep. Um, and so we always try to coach people on that as much as possible. But and that's just because we're always trying to think about like, hey, use the ETF to basically maximize the tax benefit, the transparency, and the access to you know anyone with a Schwab account can type your ticker in. And but we've learned over time more and more on, on ETF Architect, you know, Wes can't be a judge anymore because there's some for everyone. Like, so if I don't like the product, fine. Yeah. Our new criteria you got some, is yeah, we got to get you, you off that value bill? podium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you pay the bills? Will you raise money and be in this for a long time? And and will you not blow us up on compliance? Even, even if I think your product's crazy and I want to invest with my own money, I, I've, it's just, that's not, that's not our business. It's not, we're not, shouldn't be in a position to 
judge product because we're just trying to give access to the market efficiently. And, and so that, that's our new take on it, which means that if you come to us with a unique, innovative idea and you have the story of, of how you're going to distribute this thing and you're willing to pay the cost that it might take for us to you know, be able to do some weird you know, triple leverage Zimbabwe swap or whatever it is. Um, we'll make it happen. You know, we're, it's a service business, not a judgment business. Right. And so that's what we focus on now. Well, it's um, morally presumptuous if you start getting into the judgment business. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so, but, but, but it, it is on us to make sure that, that, you know, if you're on the platform, can you pay the bills? Can you raise the capital? Because we don't, we, we've got hundred percent in the sense that every product we launch, we generally never want to have to close a product and we right. have it. I and mean, we've obviously been in a huge bull market, so not saying that it's been hard, but I, I really do want people on our platform, like we want to be a team and I want them to be in business for 20 years. Yeah. Um, so, so there is that requirement because that's good for shareholders if, if we kind of pre-vet people on the, on the thing. But, and, and it so doesn't really matter if, if Wes only wants to buy quant factor stuff. You know, you want to be a stock picker? Great. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> There's some great stockbrokers out there. So, so, there so is. I, we've had to all change our mentality uh, of, um, you know, the, the, like our mission on, on investment size and power to education, our mission on ETF architect side is help ETF sponsors win, period. So we're, we're, that's what we don't really care what your strategy is. We're just going to help you win and achieve your goals in whatever endeavor uh, process strategy that you want to you know, pursue basically. I imagine this comes with, with a lot of, a lot more niche products. Yes. Um, and, and sort of what we'd call the explore products of the ETF universe. Um, yeah. And how, how at liberty are you to talk about some of the products that you currently have in the lineup? We're okay yeah. with uh, some of those. And I don't know. Yeah, them yeah, yeah. We, we I, can, know I can give you I know, the, the arc. I, I think I know like rigs, for example. Yes. Right. And, and that's a, that's a really interesting, very unique, niche yeah. Um, um, ETF that I think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but you, is that when you find yourself so seeing more of those kinds of things? We, we kind of have two buckets. We have, we have what they call an ETF innovation bucket. And then we have like traditional bucket and I'll explain. So ETF innovation is you're coming to market as an unknown. You don't have a billion dollars. You don't have an advisor that's already got a bunch of money. You're not going to do the bring your own asset thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about those in a second. And so an ETF innovation, from a platform standpoint, it's really important that you have a value proposition. And so if you're going to come to market and say, hey, I'm going to set up my smart beta value ETF, we're like, all right, roger that. Go talk the title or <laughs> talk yeah, to someone exactly. else. Yeah. We're not interested. But if, you, if you're coming to us and we see every deal right now and you've got something really unique, something cool, and I'm like, that's a great pitch. And you're the person that should be telling that pitch because you have the right expertise. Even though I may not know anything about that specific field, you're clearly the author of this book. And if you have the capital and the backing, and, and we feel like you have staying power for like three to five years, even if you don't have like a hundred million dollar seed, we want to help you out, right? Because just like you guys, you know, when you've been an entrepreneur and you've been broke for 10 years, like you you just have empathy. For, for people that are trying to get into the business and, and you want to help them out. So, so we, we love boutiques and ETF innovation and you'll notice all the, the funds on our platform and those that will be coming to market. 
you know, a lot more and more, they're going to be funded by like, you know, some people in our syndicate, like on the operating capital, they're doing cool, unique things, but they're not coming to market with a hundred million dollars. That's ETF innovation. On the other side is the bring your own assets. Hey, ETF is better for my clients. It's more tax efficient and it's operationally 10 times more efficient. I have 500 SMAs. It's a huge pain to try to manage them all. I could just put them in one ticker and the fees are tax deductible and I don't have to pay the cap. I don't have to shoot at capital gains. Those are totally different. And that's usually RAAs. And then right now, as you can imagine, there's a ton of mutual fund conversions because they're like, hey, I'm in this mutual fund that has capital gains and it's a pain. I could convert to an ETF and compete again. Um, so, so those deals we're seeing a lot more of. And, and they're not as exciting, obviously, because innovation is like the shiny rock. But they're obviously, from a business standpoint, pretty intriguing because there's, no, there's a lot less risk. Oh, oh, you want to launch a $500 million fund day one? Roger that. We're going we're, yeah. <laughs> we're to sign up over, over. Roger. Yeah, yeah. So, so, <laughs> and that's obviously what's, what mo- a lot of the product that, that we're bringing to market here in the future you're going to see is funds that are there. These are pros. They like these funds will be around for a long time. Is this why Pat blows is, is blowing us off right now? What's that? Is that why Pat? Off right yeah, now. exactly. That, that is literally we are right now in the middle of welcome to the service business. Customer says jump. You say how high. That is the reason why Patrick Clary is not here right now is because on a Friday, you know, late afternoon, we're we're helping out, uh, you know, our, our teammates to you know try to get to this ETF market. You got so it. What, what do you sign the probability of the of, of maybe leveling of the playing field from from the, the legislative perspective? Like there, there has been talk that. Hey, this is unfair. You know, mutual funds are lobbying for some sort of leveling yeah. of the field, whether that's hey, let make those so, ETF bastards taxable yeah, or not. What I, are you saying there? I am all about leveling the playing field in the sense that mutual funds should be granted the same taxation capability as ETFs. But I am not. I'm very against. Well, for two reasons: one, conflict of interest. Like I like the tax benefits of the ETF from home personal capital. And that's our business. But then also it's just fair for consumers, right? Because if I, if I buy an ETF with a massive deferred capital gain, I just bought a tax liability. Mm-hmm. That's an externality problem that shouldn't exist. Where an ETF, basically it pushes out tax externalities to the client and the tax decision is on the end consumer. And that's how it should be. That's the fair Agreed. way to do it. So I think what they should do is just make sure to increase competition and make sure it's fair to the mutual fund vehicle, which is a good vehicle for certain things. You just, you know, they're not appropriate for the ETF. They should find a way to make that um, have the same tax benefits and kind of limit the externality problems that, you know, clients in mutual funds face. So I'm, I'm all about, you know, fair and balanced competition. It's good for consumers um, for sure. Right. So can we just take, kick it back a little bit? Let's say I'm in, uh, an ETF. I want to convert into an ETF or I want to launch yeah. an ETF. Let's mm-hmm. talk about the costs. Yeah. Right? So like startup costs and then ongoing costs and then yep. any sort of variable costs that might come into play. Maybe you can break that down for us. Yeah. So uh, it, it's real simple uh, at a high level. It's to launch a fund, you're basically going to have an IPO. So as you mentioned, it's like 50 grand light money on fire and it's a ton of work, right? It's going to take you <laughs> 
anywhere from three months on the ultra short end to six to eight months, depending on how complicated it is. Um, and if you're trying to launch like a Bitcoin fund or something, that could take you 10 years, right? Um, but you're, you're looking around 50K plus or minus spent on complexity. But that's not really the cost. The real cost is the ongoing operating cost where you literally just light money on fire big time. And I would say, I always tell people for under a hundred million, which I would call subscale, you're, you're all in kind of fixed costs across, you know, fixed and variable, everything you could probably deal with is going to be anywhere from like 225 to 250 is what we got it down to. Over time, we're going to try to get this down to like 200 on our platform, but that is soup to nuts. I.e. the only other cost you have is whatever you pay yourself to, write, to put together the spreadsheet to tell us what stocks and, and weights you want us to buy because we're doing everything, right? It, um, it, and so, so, you know, you're looking at, let's say you're 50 depth, uh, you need 50 mil basically to break even, um, which sucks. Wow. But why do people want to do this business? Jesus. Well, the marginal cost production after you've paid the fixed cost is usually around 10 basis points, let's say, at subscale. Maybe you get it down to, you know, five or six if you're multiple billions. So that means if you charge 50 basis points, you get to 50 mil, okay, you're break even and you just lit money on fire. But now every dollar you get in, it's an 80% profit margin. That's a pretty good business, right? So, so I always tell people ETFs are really little software businesses in plain sight. Um, and it's actually perplexing to me that there's not more VC and you know, traditional kind of software technology type investors because the pro forma of a ETF looks like a software company. Big fixed cost. It costs a lot of money to, to build the first CD, but then, you know, we don't have CDs anymore, but you, you guys know. They, the they pump out right? easy after that. Yeah, yeah, that's an outmoded thing. But, you know, the first <laughs> CD is really expensive. And then to copy the CD, for anyone who knows what a CD is anymore, you know, cost a penny. <laughs> copy um, the CD to an 8-track and Yeah, yeah, I don't even know. What, what is the equivalent today? What, what, what is like the Gen Z equivalent of that? There's no equivalent. It's all online. Everything yeah, is yeah. nothing. It costs nothing to make. What an NFT costs nothing, and it makes millions day I one. I suppose the, the phone that they hold in their hands. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. I, I guess I guess in their context, it's like, yeah, it, it costs fifty billion dollars in physics and underlying engineering technology, but the cost production of that the supercomputer in your hand is like whatever. 200 yeah. bucks, you know, so I, yeah, I just, they don't even have the equivalent of, of what we're talking about here, but you guys know what I mean. High fixed mm-hmm. costs. We're, you know, you're talking about the right audience. Average. I think we all know what a CD is. Yeah. is good. So when you, when you, I, I remember when we first started out thinking of raising $50 million or being oh, on the yeah. hook for yeah. 250000 $220,000 a year is yeah. a massive profit. I mean, you literally have to be insane. Yes. To go from zero, if you have no presence, if you have yes. no, like you said, no, just saying, I have a dream yep. and I have some savings. How how yep. many of like zero, like brand new players do you get in contrast to So, so we, we've like, launched a few and we're, we're going to launch some more. Um, and, and basically this, this is how we, this is our playbook for like bare, minimum viable product. You know, MVP is what the tech geeks call it. So we say, listen. Here's what you got to do. Day one, you can show, you got to show up to our door with 500K in operating capital because that's going to give you about three years of breathing room to stay alive in this business, right? 
Day one also, you got to show up with five mil AUM. Talk to your rich uncle, your grandma, I don't care who it is, but that's the bare minimum. And you better have a damn good value proposition and story about how you can be a, a brand in the marketplace as a boutique. And then your year one goal, 25 mil. Year two goal, 50 mil, break even, and now you're off to the races. And you know, Perth is actually a perfect example of this because that's basically what she did. 500K operating capital, five mil day one, you know, talk to the rich uncle, your grandma, your buddies, whatever, and then grind it out to get to 25. Be like work your niche, work your angle. And then she's obviously surpassed that because she has over hundred million dollars now. But but the idea is she is the prototype. Like if anyone wants to be a boutique and a quote unquote no name and enter our business and you want to know a model for success, go talk to Perth Toll because she did it literally. Um, well, we're going to have her on in a couple of weeks. So yeah, perfect. And and there's um like, so there, there's a gentleman, uh, what's the rules on it? Well, whatever. I'll just tell you, I don't know if he's going to launch an ETF, but let's just say some, a buddy of mine, uh, Ray <laughs> Micheletti, he's a, he's a Princeton PhD engineer. And, and you guys probably read us some of the stuff. He, he, he's like the, uh, He's big into relative sentiment indicators, right? Where he's kind of on the forefront of understanding, you know, where is the timing signal related to, you know, how institutions are positioned versus the retail. And he does all this machine learning stuff on like Centix data, blah, blah, blah. I don't even understand half the stuff he says. But what I like about it is it's totally different than trend falling, right? And it's like, which I know in any other kind of tactical management technique I've ever seen, it's way out in left field because he basically invented this, this concept, right? He is the leader on this deal. And so someone like that is really compelling because he's got the pedigree. He's been in the business for a long time. And yeah, he's not the, he's not Cliff Asnes, but I feel like he's got such a unique set of ideas and he's got an ability to, to put that minimum viable, viable product to the marketplace that if he has staying power for, you know, three to four years, I think he'll find a market. Because it's just an interesting, unique idea I've never heard. And I get, like you guys, you probably, I get pitched something five times a day, and I've heard it all at this point. And, and so there's things like that. There, there's cool stuff entrepreneurs are bringing to the market. It's just, you know, it takes time, and it's, it's hard. Uh, it seems like the economics, like that equation is sensitive to the fee you're going to charge too, right? Yes. So how do you guys think through that problem? Price so we're like, it's all about being in, in the, in the boat together, right? So most of the time, if you're going to be an ETF innovator, you know, the only way you can do that, i.e. you're a boutique, you're not going to be iShares, right? Just is what it is. But the good news is iShares or Vanguard is not going to be you either because you're a boutique. You're doing something very unique, very niche, and your market is just super segmented. You're going to know the buyers, find the value proposition that matches those buyers, blah, blah, blah. So maybe your best case is you raise a billion dollars, which would be awesome. You know, you're going to be confined. You can't charge a ton, but maybe you're in that like 40 BIP to 80 BIP range, depending on what you're doing. And, and that's one business model. And, and we're, because that also has different risk profile on it, because, you know, just is what it is, you know, we charge a certain amount. Now, let's say, and we have had this happen, someone comes in with a big idea. 
where it's a big idea, it's a $50 billion product concept, but it's a super scale thing. It's definitely differentiated. It's very different than what iShares or Vanguard. They could probably compete on price, but this, this group could compete on branding or whatever it is, their shtick. Um, well, in that case, you know, you might need to get to a, you know, 500 million to break even if you're only going to charge 10 or 15 BIPs. We're willing to entertain that. That just means that your operating capital up front has to be much larger because we as the shovel seller are not interested in owning your equity risk, right? Like, <laughs> like, like we're not getting paid enough to take your equity risk. Like our platform is cheap for a reason. We don't want any risk on it, right? So, so if you want to launch a 15 book product with about 50 billion scale potential, we'll obviously, and you got the capital that we can see in the bank account to float it for 10 years, you know, we, we might do another form of deal that we would never do. Like, fine, we'll, we'll you know, we can't charge you, you know, 10 bips, you know, uh, on like marginal cost production if your product costs 10 bips. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so we, we have to work a different arrangement. We, we're open to anything. Like, again, the mission of the platform is help ETF sponsors win, not help boutiques win, not help iShares win, not help. It's we, we just want to find a way to help you out, basically. Um, so how do you guys think about um, derivatives based stuff, right? Like that, mm-hmm. you know, we, we obviously a couple of years ago, we're trying to figure out, can we launch our futures based strategies in ETF wrapper and decided at the time it was, there were too many compromises to be able yes. to do it. Do you think has have the have the rules shifted or has the, the no. product engineering shifted to make that more viable now than then or is it are we sort of stuck no i think marketing has improved and as you guys know marketing can trump good product all day long um but the the fundamental constraints and the fundamental benefits of derivatives through like capital efficiency you know all these sort of things they don't work in the 1940 act, right? Like they didn't even have derivatives and futures or they did. No one knew about them or what they were. So, you know, it just, it doesn't work. You know, for example, like one of the stupidest things you're like, Hey, I want to own a treasury future in a, in an ETF, you know, cause that seems pretty like low risk. And, you know, but, but let's say you, you, you have a treasury future and you want to do a four times leverage treasury future. Well, you guys know the collateral requirements like nothing. So, mm-hmm. you know, owning, if you have a hundred dollars of cash in an account to collateralize a treasury future, that's maybe four times a notional, that's not very risky. And frankly, it's no, it's hardly any risk. Right. But that the 40 act would say, well, that's a lot of leverage because this is four X the time of, of your thing. However, if I were to go get a 10x, like if I went to go buy a swap from a bank or, you know, or like a structured product that, that effectively delivered me a 50x treasury bond exposure, but it only cost me $5 a notional premium in my fund, they'd be like, well, that, yeah, that's, you have $95 and you have $5 in that thing. There's <laughs> right. no leverage in that. And you're like, Dude, there's tons of leverage. There's, there's <laughs> a million times more leverage in this than a hundred dollars in an account collateralizing a four hundred percent future overlay. What do you What are you lawyers smoking? But but the problem is the lawyers run 
the you know they run the rules. They're not quant finance PhDs and geeks. So I it just you know they're getting there though. Like I think like the new derivatives rule. They're trying to get like the VAR where, where it's getting more. But why is it harder in an ETF? Because I feel like the forty act constraints. I could be wrong, yeah. but I feel like the forty act constraints are kind of the same for ETFs versus versus regular forty act funds. We addressed so earlier, fund? Adam, was the. Uh, the advantage of being in an ETF is a tax wrapper, the tax advantage. Yeah. Right? Well, and distribution. And, right? Yeah, and, and access distribution access, potentially. Yeah. yeah. So, but there's maybe not we really touch any. On that. Um, yeah, there's me, transparency too. It, like, yeah. Or sorry. Yeah. This, like, sorry. Let me just. I think we talked about just to bring you up to speed because Adam joined uh, in uh, in Patrick's absence. So. We just did discuss the fact that the tax efficiency is the same. You're going to get the same tax benefit in a, in a let's say, futures-based product in 40 yep. as you would in ETF. I think the other things we've discovered is you get a, the market makers have a harder time market-to-market market on futures contracts than they do necessarily on. No, I think that's that's the core yeah. challenge, right? Yeah. That, yeah. That's what, kind of what I was trying to get to. Sorry sorry if you guys had already covered it. I obviously can't. No, no, no. No, no. We, we, this is where we're exploring new areas. Okay, but let's yeah. talk about the distribution angle. So- my understanding yeah. was that ETFs have to go through the approval process across platforms in the same way that a mutual fund does. Am I incorrect in, in Not that? Not true. So, okay. so ETFs have an infinitely better time, right? So if you're a mutual fund, and I didn't even know about this until recently, but like you want to be on Schwab's you know, platform to get access you know, because of the transfer agent fees and all this other stuff, they'll charge usually like 10 bips. Every time you make a sell, they take 10 bips of it. That's not even to be on like the preferred or any of this stuff or to be the, the commission free. When we launch an ETF, day one, you are available for trading on Schwab. And there are zero costs to anyone, right? There's commit. Well, there's costs through like payment for order flow, but like there's no commission. There's no weird behind the scenes like, hey, give us a cut of your platform e- fee and stuff. Yeah, there's yeah. none of that. So yeah, the something B funds, the B, the some 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 something B. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I don't know. But so so mutual funds come at the world through an ecosystem that just like the rape and pillage on them. Whereas ETF, I don't know how you know we pulled it off. I wasn't part of this, but obviously, but when you launch an ETF, you're available on all open architecture platforms essentially. If you're trying to go to a wirehouse like Merrill, obviously, you know, they're going to tell their clients, oh, yeah, you don't want to do that fund. It hasn't done due diligence. And then magically, if I go talk to the to the department, I said, hey, do you want a million dollars? You know, all of a sudden that fund passed due diligence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yep. there's a lot of backroom, you know, crazy Dealing, yeah. You know, when you dig in the weeds on these things. Um, okay, so so default is being ETS are on. It really you're on it's zero on cost. it's on the uh, platforms to turn it off or disincentivize yes. people to to invest yeah. in ETS. So you got the advantages of distribution. I guess for those who care, the advantages of trading in today. Um, yep. The tax advantages if you're doing some sort of. Um, so let's talk about what what type of ETF underlying products do and can benefit from this tax advantage and how that works. Yeah, so so the only way you you have advantage is if you can do something in kind, right? Which really boils down to, hey Pat, what's going on, man? What's up? Resolve Grab, rifts, dude. Are you Grab in the a drink, old man. AA headquarters there? That you looks, in, are you in AA that HQ? Looks familiar. 
This is uh, this is like an old like North Korean banquet hall. It's just like <laughs> it's like. Did Wes oh, give familiar, you his house when it's he familiar. left? Did Wes yeah. just give you his house when he left? He said, "I'm just right." <laughs> we got to keep costs yeah. down, and we got to launch these ETFs, man. Yeah, we run a um, we run a Golden Corral and a small <laughs> here. We're just you know. <laughs> Show us the show us the bear, man, and the leopard and stuff. Is that oh, the leopard? Yeah. yeah. So we got we got all the all the weird. Oh, that stuff place here. brings back some memories, dude. Yeah. 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 We got. The sorry, it's, it's tough to be a. There we go. Huh? And yeah. uh, this is um, Grizz is downstairs though. Yeah, Grizz is oh, the yeah right. Grizz is downstairs. We got he's the co-host for the podcast for a while. If I yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Some dinners at that table. Yeah. That's right. That I barely remember. Do you guys want to see uh, Wes's collection of Justin Bieber DVDs? He's got like <laughs> 600. <laughs> we hey, were just talking hey, about CDs and DVDs. Can you, can you mute him He's now, Canadian, man. I'm all for it. <laughs> I love the I'm all for it. I'm a big beef fan. <laughs> big beef fan. Oh, good. all right. Welcome, Patrick. Patrick. I, we can I'm go sorry deep I'm late, now. guys. Yeah, no, folks. that's cool, man. It's okay. I've been dying to get off this freaking transparency tax and access crap. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I get it. What I want to talk about is innovative products, <laughs> shit that's on the cutting edge. I mean, stuff we've had in Canada for months, but right. you know, and in potentially years. years, you know, really. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, you anyway, always you know, lead you guys. You know, it's okay. We all <laughs> know. know. Don't worry. We don't have to name anything. I know we're we're gonna. Nobody's naming anything. Veil of secrecy <laughs> no. for now. But um, but yeah, we were. Let's say about someone did want to launch a crypto futures fund. Well, how would they go? But no, I'm just kidding. But, but that is that's <laughs> well. That's super well, here's upsetting. an interesting thing, Adam. I was talking to uh, Wes and Rod before we were on, and, and I was noticing, obviously in Canada, we launched uh, a couple of different cr- uh, digital asset products, right. one for Ethereum, one for Bitcoin, and our former futures, uh, head of futures trading, Sean Cumby, who, by the way, just launched Arx Novum in Canada and is now registered and whatnot and doing doing some fun stuff there, and is legitimately the GOAT in Canada that helped 3IQ launch and 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 um, navigate the regulators in Canada in order to get them comfortable with the initial closed end offerings of the Ethereum and Bitcoin uh, uh, funds. And then subsequent to that, with those having such smashing success, you saw Purpose and Galaxy and 3IQ um, also launch ETFs. And then subsequently to that, you've seen the um, the ETFs launched by companies like Horizons, which are based on the futures rather than the coin. Right. And there, there's a, there's a lot there. What I was surprised at um, was was basically how closely the Horizons product in Canada had tracked um, the both the physical uh, ETF in Canada, as well as you know looking at BTC spot in Canadian dollars. I don't know if I can just share my screen and, and show you this. This is pretty interesting because hats off to Horizons for being able to do this. But um, let me share my screen on this one. 
Ladies and uh, gentlemen, first Mike Philbrick screen share in the history yeah, of the podcast. It'll, it'll be about 20 minutes. We'll get there. This is yeah, very exciting. Get those big yeah. thumbs ears working. For- yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> share this one here. I think, is that the one? First okay. boomer that, screen share. Is that, is, that, is that show? Oh, good. I got the right screen. I <laughs> thought that his, was going to be the one with the small people. Work, guys. <laughs> I thought that was going to be the one. This is anyway. running on the AS400, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, not Cobra. <laughs> Processor. This thing's firing up great. So, so you. Get, so anyway, this That's is three. This cool. is HBit, which is the Beta Pro Bitcoin ETF in Canada, which is the futures-based one. Then you have in Canadian uh, dollars. In, in yeah, this is all in Canadian dollars because of the charting system, whatever. Yeah. So BTCQ also Canadian dollars, but is uh, holding the underlying and then you've got btc usd but then i've translated that into canadian dollars by dividing it by fxc uh, and you can see the tracking is astonishingly close and i'm i'm actually quite surprised um, because i thought there would be a, a much more difficult sort of role issue that's shocking in, actually in yeah. the bitcoin yeah. uh futures and so i you know what i'm hearing from uh I was talking to Sean Cumby the other day too. What I'm hearing is that a lot of the institutions that are looking for access, there's a couple of things they really want. They want to know what what's the index that you're tracking. Like what can I what can I benchmark you against, and how are you doing against that? And so, you know, what expertise or what background do you guys have in this, and what are your thoughts on on you know the, sort of the Canadian experience? And there's a lot of talk of this coming to the U.S. in the coming weeks. In theory. In theory, theoretically. Yeah. yeah, so I actually, I don't know if you got the ability to do it, Mike. How does ETH look? Is it a similar story? Uh, well, or, that's or, a great there, question. I, future, um, right? I can, I can try. Let me just see. Well, the, the, the problem is that we don't have a futures-based ETH yeah. yet gotcha. in, in, uh, in how do they How do they track the spot, though, in general? Just like the actual spot ETF versus that's actual a very spot, good like question. Right, so... In the, um, uh, let me just look at this here. I'm not sharing my screen anymore, right? So, what do you mean? How do they track, track the spot? Well, because the ETF has one defined spot. spot across, you know, 100 different right. Like, Bitcoin like exchanges. whatever you got on like Coinbase or whatever the, like you own yeah. it in a wallet. What's the that truth? Price. Right. There's yeah, an so index, right? Like so they set the price block. based on the TWAP or the, the VWAP in the last five minutes trading prior to 4 well, the, p.m. or something like that. This yeah. is actually part of, the, part of the challenge, right, that the investors want to be very clear on. I want you to tell me what the index is. Is it a futures-based index? Is it a spot-based index? What time of day are we tracking it, right? Is it 4 o'clock? Is yeah. it 8 o'clock? On what exchange? Average of a number of exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that, that all gets, I guess, well-defined, but is actually quite tricky. Um, if you look at uh, Purpose, and and so their launch of the ETF and their tracking to their index was terrible. I mean, really? it was hundreds oh, yeah. of basis points. Wow. And so, uh, it, you know, it may have settled down. I haven't looked recently, but this is this is the, you know, sort of the number one bugaboo. And I guess, you know, from, from the perspective of... Um, uh, a lot of the index providers, what I understand is they're actually looking to the futures markets to provide that type of uh, index. And, and let's face it, you know, 
it's a really interesting problem with this particular type of asset class. Not, I mean, it's not as bad as oil thinking about, you know, am I running, mm-hmm. r- r- am I rolling front month or 12 month? Yeah. Um, but, but there's some challenges in there and you got two different types of ecosystems. You've got a Bitcoin ecosystem, which is very expensive to move things from, you know, physical to, to warm to cold storage and then back out and you're doing creates and redeems daily, you know, that for the vast majority of those physical coined um, ETFs, in my mind, they're, they're probably using futures, I would think, quite actively to hedge mm-hmm. that underlying exposure. They're certainly not going and putting Bitcoin in cold storage during the day. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. I mean, that's... Well, super. Anyway. I'm also wondering how much... Um... Because I, you got the uh, the trust down here. Remember, the, I can't remember what it's called, but the, oh, the uh, grayscale, grayscale, yeah, grayscale trust, where they got all the arbitrage on like premium discount. Yeah, and I assume there's like huge future players like doing the the spread trade. Um, so I, mean, I can't imagine that as people just launch more and more product, whether it's future cash base, what have you, that all these things will just get tighter because of no arbitrage, and yeah. people like to make money in the markets. Um, yeah. The, the other thing you do in Canada on the closed end funds is they have a requirement for a monthly redemption at 95% and an annual redemption at NAV. Oh, wow. And so, okay. so we had a, we had a way back years ago, we had a, a, a closed end fund um, whirlwind of, of speculation that mm-hmm. led to a whole bunch of closed end funds trading at massive discounts. And the regulators just said, if you're going to open a closed end fund, you have to have these two requirements. So at least yeah. once annually, some redemption feature of X versus Y. It's just so sensible. Like I don't understand why that's not this, the same. Everybody wants permanent capital in in the states. Yeah, I understand it from the from the perspective of the issuer. Like if I'm GBTC, I'm I'm I'm, I'm wondering why would I ever convert? I've got captive capital. I'm able to charge whatever I want over the course of the basically perpetuity. But like f- from the perspective of the SEC, why wouldn't they take the same perspective? Anyways, this is. A bit of off-roading, but it is curious. Do we have a question for Patrick, or are you just going to talk Adam for the rest of the day? Patrick, can you talk about this at all right now? Like, what what are your thoughts on this whole space? So, the, the, to, to kind of tie into what Mike was saying earlier, um, everybody, at least in our in our experience, talking to lawyers that are filing these things left and right nonstop, they don't have good answers to those questions either. And so, what are they trying to do? They are trying to write the broadest, most vague. Canada is triple black belt, calc level three, and the Americans are in fourth grade still trying to get, you know, the flashcards written and made. So <laughs> it's like these disclosures are just, you know, we're providing broad, you know, we, we're targeting the price of Bitcoin and maybe other things. And then you, you talk about the leverage limitations and all these other, you know, with, if you're using a blocker, a Cayman blocker, um, I, I think it's just so elementary because the ecosystem is not shopped out and you're you're absolutely right mike like like if you just say we're going to track the price of bitcoin a retail investor is like okay cool like got it yeah but like nobody is no and that's why a fiduciary is so key like guys like you that actually understand the stuff where you can actually say okay no we actually have to unfold that a little bit and or unpack that a little bit and and get into the specifics so i think this is just a you know as you guys probably talked about before it's a it's a land grab who can get there 
as, as quick as possible and hopefully without uh, getting sanctioned by the regulators. You just got to work with people that know what the heck they're doing. Yeah. Um, well, so. the interesting thing is futures have sort of been granted the, you know, all clear, not, not all like sort of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yeah. Uh, Ethereum in particular has, I think, a sort of this legislative um, ruling in its favor of, and Bitcoin is a slightly different interpretation, but they have been interpreted from a tax guideline perspective, as I understand it, as being fairly clear. Yep. And so, you know, and then recently we've seen the news that, hey, we would support, you know, an ecosystem that used these types of uh, instruments underlying, which is great. I mean, this opens up the door for, um, um, you know, U.S. investors who have had a heck of a time, or, you know, Canada and uh, South America has launched several products in this in this thing. The Middle East, I mean, I think the three IQ product almost trades like twenty two hours a day because it's listed on a number of exchanges uh, across the world. Um, and and then you, as you said, you've got sort of, I mean, fourth grade in the U.S. It's it's harsh. Maybe it's it's sort of semi true, but but I, I, just a, a slower adoption in the face of pretty substantial investor demand. I mean, you just look over to Coinbase and see the number of accounts they have. It's larger than the number of accounts at like Schwab, TD, and Fidelity. It's some some ridiculous thing like that that Matt talks about uh, from from Bitwise. Um, And so you're you're seeing mass adoption. Like you're seeing some sort of movement within sort of a retail space anyway. So um, it's just a really interesting space but there's a lot of thought that has to go into how one might get exposure and i think just one last thing rob before you jump in not your keys not your coins is an extremely dangerous statement you know when someone thinks about a bearer asset that you will own that is a that has a whole set of different security precautions that you would have to take as an individual rather than owning a financialized product right and this is where I think that that's the gap I, I kind of, if I gasp at anything in the U.S. regulars, that's where I would be like, okay, come on. You're forcing a whole bunch of people to hold this bearer asset in a way where like, let's just financialize the asset and allow the access. This IBM like, certificate from your grandmother that's in your home safe. <laughs> Correct. Right? Like that's With a signature on the back, right? That's right. <laughs> like I, I've signed it and I put it in the vault. you know what's funny about that i was actually at a conference last weekend because i'm i'm not a you know i don't know that much about this crypto stuff but everyone there knew a lot about it and they're also half my age and 10 times richer um and one of the guys (laughs) actually told me because he's one of these like hodl guys and he's pretty famous and he says like the security thing is real like because they know oh this guy if i know he owns his own wallet I'll go put a gun to his head because yeah. I know he is literally holding yeah. this and he knows the password somewhere. I can just yeah. steal $10 million. Gun to his head. Brother, no, Mike. we're not going to put a gun to his head. We're going to chop off his left hand. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, he can still he... use his right hand to punch the keys and then figure out how much he yeah. would like to have his right hand. I know. So he had like no, he like part of his crypto thing is he literally has like security protocols. Like yeah. I was like, yeah. wow, I didn't even. I Doesn't never even thought Mike about that. That's do security or did security? My, my brother for... does. My my brother does corporate security, and he has worked for several, uh, both movie stars, but also uh, yeah. crypto. Uh, so d- done uh, full housing design, panic room, 
uh, wow. type stuff, drive yeah. drive routes before they go somewhere, you know, make sure they have escape routes, all that stuff. Because it, I mean, you're yeah. talking people with serious. Yeah, I mean, it would be the equivalent of a of a billionaire having all of his money and gold bars in his home, right? Like, yeah, it is. The the, the only reason billionaires can walk around is because nobody can get access to it if even if they capture them, right? So it's just such a silly thing. Anyway, Patrick, uh, just back back to the question, like, just from a regulatory perspective, do you? I'm curious whether. You have all these different offerings trying to get to market. And we've talked about the complexities of pricing and how are you going to get access to it? Is it that the regulators are being thrown 20 different ways of getting exposure to Bitcoin and they don't know what to do about it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is the beauty of the American bureaucratic design that the forefathers made 300 or our founding fathers made, you know, 250 to 300 years ago or, or what. But yet you've got three key issues. You've got one. Uh, Fed wants to treat it like a currency. Uh, SEC wants to treat it like a security, and Congress is um, is getting pulled in other in other directions. And you can look at like the letter um, Senator Warren sent to Gensler and, yeah. and says, "You know, you need to regulate Bitcoin. You know, get get your act together." <laughs> and then uh, Gensler is like, "Hey, this is co- really cool. Uh, as soon as Congress writes a law that gives me the mandate to regulate this, I'll be more than happy to help you." senator you know it was the most passive aggressive <laughs> response ever um so yeah I, I think it's it's just you know this we are not i mean even across democracies we're more fragmented and and um slower if you will and i think just this new innovative product i mean you saw the facebook hearings like we have we have senators that can't understand what facebook is you want to try and explain crypto to them you know that's a i mean it's just a whole another level jujitsu level of of knowledge that they don't have so but is that isn't that isn't that a false excuse like come on how much how much uh knowledge do these senators have about um natural gas uh exploration or junior silver mines or junior lithium mines or triple leveraged silver etfs like honestly isn't that a bit of a cop-out so i sorry no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. It is a cop out, and why is it a cop out? It's a cop out because these, uh, you know, crypto is a great disintermediator on so many levels, right? You think yep. about all the, you know, being able to just buy currency without paying a commission, being able to. Oh, you know, Jamie Dimon's thinking about it, and he's in the news every day, <laughs> yeah, right? Talking his book. Yeah. So is is all of this a false flag? Oh, we got we got to take our time. We got to really evaluate this. How much of that is genuine versus, uh, you know, I got to protect my job. I don't know, but uh, I definitely the latter. I think to some extent. It's a. Uh, That's a good cynical take. You know, you could you could. <laughs> you should, Am I done here? <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 totally buying that, but. <laughs> There's also like, I guess, like a reserve currency question and, and um, an AML question. And there's obviously a massive interest in, especially yeah. in the U.S. for AML anti-terrorism and, and yeah. you know, border control and, and uh, war on drugs. Like there's just so many competing interests to make sure that, that you 
don't enable money laundering and all that kind of stuff, I guess that you, you yeah. if you wanted to be generous in your interpretation of what's taking so long that you've got a few excuses. Oh, yeah. So yeah. unlike me to give them this, these outs. Yeah, there you go. Well, this, well, this guy. <laughs> I've, been, I've been reading your Twitter profile uh, recently, Adam. You, you certainly, that is very yeah, you, you were You were much you more in Patrick's camp. To, what's going yeah, on? I, I had to disengage. Camp. Now I got um, so Patrick, uh, like one of the qu- questions with regard to ETFs and Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin tw- t- trades twenty four seven. The an ETF product will trade five days a week, uh, half the day or less than that. Um, there's also always overnight markets, right? In stocks, where things trade in different ways. What do we expect that to be if we were ever to launch a Bitcoin ETF? That uh, that can mark the market somewhat. Like, do you expect these shares to trade overnight, overseas, over the weekend? We haven't gotten that far, and that is what yeah. terrifies me about these things. Right? Is how do how do you how do you manage that over a weekend? Yeah. Right? I mean, we we have we have all this extra plumbing for international funds with just a 12 hour time zone difference. If you have a fund that holds, you know, Japanese securities, all of these valuation procedures come into play. Um, so I think, I, I think the path that the U S is on is a good one, which is look, we have to get on board with something. The futures markets can handle this and let's, let's kind of rip the bandaid off in this one sector and see what happens. But I think it's going to be a lot of, you know, watch and observe, and, and see what happens. Um, so I don't have a good answer on that, frankly. What's the opportunity for those who, I mean, the role yields in um, obviously OTC futures against spot, like have been pretty juicy since the origination of, of crypto. Do you envision a, a big portion of the use case for, these types of futures-based products being um, to facilitate the this kind of arb for people with that don't have derivatives licenses or like is that a big? I would think that'd be massive, but I just have no. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I would think whenever the uh, that has to get arbed away at some point. I just don't see how that's sustainable long longer term. Uh, I I don't know, Wes. Do you have? Um, I, mean, that's- I mean, a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times futures are in contango backwardation for a reason. Like, I'm sure the one in crypto might be inefficient right now. But over time, like, you, <laughs> there's there's a reason for these things, right? It, you know, it's like VIX. Like, yeah, I know that if I short VIX futures, in theory, I could make 20%, but I can also die tomorrow, right? And, and you know, so <laughs> usually prices are roughly correct. Um, and markets are roughly efficient and that may not be the case right now, but I can only imagine that if, and when a lot more products come online, a lot more cross arbitrage, you know, a lot more capital comes in this game. You know, if it, let's say the whole curve is super contango, it's probably that way for a reason. Um, well, I think it's that way because it's, it's so far been really challenging to take, a meaningful proportion of fiat and move it into the crypto ecosystem. Like it's just really hard and it's really yep. risky. Fiduciaries perceive it as risky. Yep. 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 Um, 
There's a lot of, well, I don't know why my self, Siri just, keeps popping it's up. It's a self-financing organism or ecosystem as well, right? So the cost of funds is a little bit different. Yeah. It's not, you know, schedule one bank finance through lots of money sitting on balance sheets to fund whatever you need to take whatever ARB out of whatever, you know, financially approved market. Yeah. But it's just um, really hard for institutions. Like the vast majority of yeah. capital is held at institutions. It's very hard for institutions. The other side of the ARB is you got to hold spot Bitcoin, right? So that is the hard <laughs> part, right? So you've yeah. got you've got people want to get exposure to the asset. They can't get exposure by buying spot because moving from fiat into the crypto ecosystem is risky for a variety of reasons, tax, regulatory, fiduciary, ERISA, whatever. Personal. Yeah, personal. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so you've got this this massive supply demand imbalance. And, and so that needs to be funded by whatever capital is in the um, crypto yeah. ecosystem needs to fund that and it needs to get an equivalent rate. And so like until until they make it easy regulatorily tax and through the financial system to move a meaningful proportion of institutional capital into the crypto ecosystem where they can they can own spot against the futures to arb the the basis this thing's going to be going to be really juicy yeah. so i think that i can't imagine that's not going to be a major use case for for products no. like this i know i promised west that we would let him go through six minutes ago i just west how you doing you got you got to hop off to yeah i'm thing. good I, I actually gotta leave in about nine here like okay. I got, I got to call five, but I can. You can drop um, off whenever you need them. Yeah, I'll, I'll just. Drop you, off who first, do you have to talk to, Wes? These, these <laughs> are these guys. Guy, these he's, guys he's have been in the trenches guy. with us for years. <laughs> I know. Well, you you can look at my calendar. I can't exactly miss it. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Justin yeah. Bieber concert. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Justin, Justin Bieber. Bieber's doing a live stream. Professor, he's doing a live. He's down at the sandbar. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, the other thing is, I mean, I just know uh, just from seeing on like the private side, there's a ton of capital going into, you know, hedge funds or whatever that are doing like, like arbitrage. So like, hey, it may not be going through the formal markets, but there's a ton of hedge funds that are raising a ton of capital to do arbitrage activity and making spreads and making markets. So it, yes, it may not are. be like, Susquehanna, well, it is probably Susquehanna, but but it may not be like well-known players. So, but there's definitely huge operators that are yeah, raising. So I can t- I can give some money. insight into that. But Mike, can we talk? <laughs> you know, can we talk about this? What Just, we can talk generally about insights that we would have on that particular topic. Yes. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. So here are some insights generally about. I, I hate this seven. industry. We can talk about insights that we have on that particular topic. There is a lot of interest from Susquehanna and the big prop desks, people that are built private, that are reaching out to certain firms outside of the U.S. jurisdiction, no firm to be named, um, because they can't do the trading themselves. If you're an American and uh, if you're a resident of the United States, and you try to arb out this spot versus derivatives across a hundred different exchanges, right? You aren't you're not allowed to trade derivatives. It's illegal, right? So well, you can't you, even exchanges VPN won't allow Americans, right? Americans to trade in those exchanges won't allow Americans because they don't want the ire of the American regulatory, the, the global lead of regulatory <laughs> financial assets. They don't want to fear that ire um, so because they it's too are, big of a market. 
so what they're doing for the first time ever in their experience, because they, they generally do the and they have their own trading desk, that for the first time that I've seen that I've that have been reaching out to uh, offshore companies, let's just say, that are already running these type of arbitrage, yep. they're willing to buy the fund for the first time. So I think honestly, Rod, something too. gets regulated for the United States where that allows these big firms to trade offshore in this space there will be a ton of dislocations. And also the other thing, we're not talking about dealing with two or three exchanges here. We're talking about a hundred different exchanges that all have their own spot prior Bitcoin at any given time during the day. So it's, there's, there's just, I think there's this juice is gonna be available for, for a long, long time. And even the big firms won't be able to take advantage of it. In, in I, I would add Rod, you, we've even seen um, those types of companies setting up uh, their offshore arms, right? So you see them setting up in Bahamas or Cayman or wherever because they can't do it from from they U.S. soil. So they're though, right? yeah, they're their of course, and they're setting up arms, yeah, That's which they're doing. I mean, they're they are that that is happening. So there's a there's a flow of talent and capital that's leaving the United States in order to accomplish this as well, yeah. um, which is something that. Uh, I'm, but the yeah, point yeah, is, like, America is wonderful. Point. They'll get their head around that. Definitely. Uh, but but to Wes's point, right, there are absolutely ARP funds that are being set up. But in the context of a $2 trillion market cap ecosystem, a billion here and a billion there in these ARP funds is a drop in the bucket, right? So until the U.S., primarily the U.S., there's other jurisdictions that, that threw up barriers as well. But until the U.S. unburdens or, or liberalizes some of the, the regs around this, it's just going to be virtually impossible for um, a, a meaningful amount of capital flow into this from an institutional at an institutional level to close these gaps. I mean, we we observe these constantly, and the opportunity in ARBs of all types have not converged in any meaningful way at all over the last nine to 12 months as we've been, as we've been sort of scrutinizing fairly closely. So, you know, I think products like, like this, that sort of futures based ETFs are an interesting way for institutions to be able to, I mean, in a, in a time of like razor thin yields everywhere, this is a very attractive yield product if done properly. So it'll be interesting to see how, how the demand for that evolves from institutions. Well, gosh, we've 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 even done a split share corp here in Canada, right? Yeah. Or uh, here in Canada, I'm not in Canada, but in Canada there was a split share corp. But I don't know if you remember, guys remember this happened in the U.S. a lot. But they take a, an asset, they you know do some covered writing, they do two tranches, they have a preferred share and a capital share, right? The cap share is levered, you know, two times, and the preferred share, you know, single leverage but three six percent yield, and the preferred share has a you know, a, all the a, dividends a, a, accrue to the preferred share yeah. and any, yeah. and there's a guarantee. Yeah. And what's left and, over accrues to the, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that, that, I mean, those were circa the year 2000, 2001. They're again, a product in Canada. And, you know, we saw them on Canadian oil sands and all kinds of weird resource stuff and, and uh, now being marketed for uh, Bitcoin as well. So the, the, the flows are interesting. Calls for, yeah. for the income sleeve. Which is a pretty is a pretty neat strategy. A hundred vol asset. It's not yeah, a horrible exactly. Thing, I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Well, I mean, what is the yield? I, I don't look at the implied vol on these. Say, well, like if you do like the a yield cover today on them, Ethereum. Yeah, like like what's the, the yield? yield? Like what, what do you? What was the what yield today like? on Ethereum? If you were well, that was that was, uh, that was yeah, that was seventy percent, but it was for a few hours and it was against. Yeah. That's uh, pretty good. But, but no, covered writing is a, a different. But I mean, just uh, the options are are 100 vol plus, 100 to 150 vol. So um, I don't know. You get 25% downside protection, I guess, about if you do a covered right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. And the bit, the bit ass spread to get them is probably like 25.01 or something. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends where you are in the in the ladder of, uh, but yeah, they, it can be. And then and then a lot of a lot of those types of products, when you go off into the world outside of the United States, are actually RFQ, right? So you, they, there is no option ladder. You just yeah. put in a put in. They give you a quote um, of what your. You, I mean, you get to totally tailor your option to whatever it is that you would like. Days, um, you know. Uh, amount from strike, et cetera, totally customized. Obviously, when you go to um, sell said option or close said position, you're also going to them for an RFQ. So um, that's probably a little unnerving or could be. Um, yeah. Are you expecting that the um, that these ETFs are going to be optionable eventually? Like presumably they'll be optionable relatively quickly. It's probably not even on your radar, is it? Um. Yeah, I mean, someone just has to, you know, you get the ISDN. I mean, someone's going to be doing it for sure. Someone's going to get the ISDN in place, and then again, it's the derivative. No, I mean, like publicly, just just like public option chains on on the uh, on the listed ETF, even. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah for sure. sure. Yeah, no, that's that's. If someone can make money. They'll probably launch it. Easy <laughs> how it works. Figure out how. <laughs> I mean, but chance. today is anybody beating rigs today? Come on, that thing's got to be on fuego. We can either up. confirm nor deny any of. <laughs> <laughs> no rig, rigs right. is an ETF you have, no? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm here's what about- I'll say, Mike. You guys want to talk about value investing? Yeah, yeah. yeah I was about to say that. <laughs> we, yeah, let me tell you about value investing. I've spent. We probably spent what? Because we've been doing that since 2012. <laughs> And I, you know, that's a long time. And then I can compare that against some crypto mining thing. And I'm like, wow, the NAVs are the same. <laughs> Except one's been around for nine years now. And the other one's been around for two months. <laughs> I just gave up thinking too hard, Mike. I, I don't understand how it works anymore, but that's all right. No, I'm 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 a I'm We're a big trying fan real hard the, over here. I'm moment of silence for thinking too hard, Wes. I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You and Adam should start a like a help group or something. That's no, right. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Mike, Mike doesn't think at all. No, Mike. You know what we started? A shovel selling group. That's what we started. I'm not gold mining anymore. We thought about it. Selling. Hey, we thought about it and we said, you know, we should sell these dummies picks and shovels. I mean, what? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, I got to bounce. You guys could talk about important stuff. Adios. Thanks, Wes. Wes, Wes, Wes. Are we doing Matt March with the Fall on next year? Let's go. He's going. That's where he's going to go. Hey, hey, you guys hiring? You guys hiring? <laughs> this isn't live, right? We can just talk off the air, right? Hey, Somebody shitting on you uh, with all these launches. <laughs> no, I can't it's, imagine it's, it's, it's good. Easy. 
Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's, it's fun. Um, you know, I like the, uh, what I like about it is you get to talk to these lawyers. You're talking to the SEC every day about just all the crazy stuff that's going on behind the scenes. You know, like someone files and they want to use the Canadian ETFs in their, in their crypto product. And then the SEC calls them 24 hours later and says, no, you can't do this. And, you know, it's just, um, it, it, that's the fun part, I think. But yeah, everyone has so, ETF so on the brain because of tax efficiency. That's an interesting question with regard to, you know, you guys are launching or have launched and, and are running this alpha architect. What do you call it? The alpha architect? ETF architect. ETF architect. ETF, ETF um, architect. Yeah. So the ETF architect process, like you're like talking about minimizing awesome. costs and all that, but there's some, there's got to be operational alpha. And I imagine a lot of operational with connections with the right lawyers and the, the right people to talk to in the regulatory environment. That's a good question. Well, yeah, I mean, just just like you guys, right? Like we're, we've been in the trenches for a long time together and you start to learn how to set the stuff up. You start to learn. And the thing is, is we were broke to start, right? So this industry was built and, and Mike, I mean, back in your, back in your days at Scotiabank, like you had you had the infrastructure, you had the, the personnel yeah. and now it's like, okay, now you're going to be in Toronto in, a, in an apartment, you just got to figure it out. Um, yep. The same thing with us, right? So... Yeah, there is a lot. There's a ton of fat in this industry still. I mean, it's it's a bloodbath, right? But there's still a ton of fat and there's all these things. I mean, I think there should be a day where you should be able to launch an ETF for under 10 grand. There's no reason. There's no reason. Well, how do you guys price that now? Because Wes said something about having 500 grand in operating capital to, to sort of start. For but what's years. the? how do you divide that up between the ongoing operating cost versus the, the, the launching costs? So the the operating capital requirement, you know, you have you have two. I mean, funds close all the time, right? So you want to try and separate the the wheat from the chaff. So we basically say, look, the ongoing costs running an ETF, call it t- very ballpark, call it twenty k a month. Like that's we we want you to live for at least two years with like no success, right? And and so that's why we throw that number out there. Um, but the operating costs, you know, right now we're seeing like about 60, 60 K, maybe 70 K if you're doing something more exotic. Um, but when I look at the work, when I'm like, when I'm the one, you know, making the sausage in the back with the attorneys, I'm like, this is so inefficient. This is so 1980s, you know, Mm -hmm. we're still like, we don't have a fax and we don't have like green visors with like calculators, (laughs) but it's almost that bad. The Um, abacus. Yeah. So (laughs) So yeah, but what you guys are doing, I mean, you guys are innovators and super smart and nimble and you're doing things that no one else is doing. And I mean, that's just, I, I think it's kind of two, two different sides of the same coin, frankly, just need new blood in there to like figure it out. So, Well, I think we're, we're continuing to operate in a 1980s paradigm, right? And sometime over the next five or 10 years, this entire tech will become antiquated and it'll just move entirely into the tokenization space into DAOs in and you know all of this stuff which was designed to work with fax machines and two people sitting in an office signing papers right um will be recognized as the antiquated tech it is and and there'll be viable alternatives that everyone will agree to right at the moment we just haven't we haven't converged on a common narrative where that's accepted but it's coming yeah, but it's yeah. a combination of the forty-year-old tech and the eighty-year-old uh, law. I mean, is it is it eighty years? Yeah, the nineteen forty act, right? Yeah. Nineteen forty for a reason. A lot of it we go back to that over and over well, again. Not, to, not much to, has to changed. Figure right? out what, what we what can or can't do. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's the, the law. Well, I mean, in, in, to the SEC's credit, like they're trying their damnedest to keep this thing updated. You know, they did the ETF rule. They got they got custom baskets allowed. They're they're trying to figure out how to say satiate the demand for for crypto right um but you're right rodrigo it's you know it's still these old rules and i will say another part of operational alpha and this i hate to sound hokey but it's it's also just like you got to be good people right like there's no substitute you can be the i mean you guys know you can be the smartest person but philbrick's the one cracking jokes up front and like you know (laughs) People like, you know, how could you not want to follow Phil Brick on the football field? You know? <laughs> I ask myself that, that every is day. True. You know? That is true. Just don't eat the donuts. <laughs> yeah, don't eat the, don't eat the donuts. <laughs> Sorry for another day. Why? Why is that another day? I swear to God, one day you're going to have to say I'm not talking about that. There's Have a few more drinks. That's not happening right now. <laughs> those who know, know, and those who don't know can use their imagination. <laughs> yeah. But so, no, it's, so it's... it's you know the um as you do you have like a crew of lawyers internally that deal with all this or do you have lawyers externally that you like to work with that know the space that connections and all that important yeah the latter and i, I think Wes is not going to retain in house counsel what you do is you find a washed up MBA with no hair and just trying to prove something to his wife who long ago gave up on their marriage. And then have him. No, yeah. What, what we try and do is we try and like deconstruct all that crap or say, okay, where are the legal minds best suited? Well, okay, they're best suited for these pieces. And then, okay, what can be done by an idiot? And then we, we try and replicate that or outsource that and do it quickly. And then you pull in the lawyer. And then what you say is you say, look, give us a good discount on price. We'll make up in volume. And then <laughs> what we try to do is we try and just keep them engaged on the stuff that actually matters, on the stuff that is worth $500, $1,000 an hour and not mm-hmm. page numbers and stuff like that. So, right. um, No, that's good no, insight. That's and trying to, trying to keep huge lawyers thing. to um, you know, the core task, the most important task, not you know, prevent scope drift, like so much – extra costing comes from just not staying on all of the service providers who are all obscenely expensive. Like what, 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 and this is less true with, I know you're what you're currently doing in the, in the crypto space, but a lot of what all of these, everybody's doing in the ETF space, we're not reinventing the wheel every time we, we file a prospectus, like 80 to 90% of that copy is, is template. And yet somehow the the lawyers get away with charging you everybody the same amount as though they need to completely recreate each document from scratch at 500 to $1,000 an hour. And so, so getting good, you know, good service people who are willing to cut you a break and recognize that there's a lot of overlap from prospectus to prospectus or from filing to filing, I'm sure that's got to come in handy. Well, well, correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, but you, the reason you have your template is because I, we've been told by our Canadian lawyers, at least, that they're not allowed to copy somebody else's prospectus, right? That they're not allowed to copy somebody else's compliance document. That 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 is unethical from a legal perspective. That we have to do something unique for you, and so they get away with creating something from scratch. If you're internally coming in with a document that's ninety percent filled in, and then saying just fill in the ten percent that we actually don't know about. 
you're probably able to get a much better that type of operational alpha that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, boy, the, it, we look at it down here is what is the purpose of these legal documents? These purpose of the documents are to protect the investor at the end of the day, right? It's to clearly and ex, and succinctly explain what the heck grandma is buying with in her Schwab account. Um, mm-hmm. So if there's a better disclosure out there, if there's a better mousetrap, everybody's better served. And, um, you know, are we just copy pasting an iShares prospectus and, and dropping it in? No, you still have to think about the risks and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, how many long only funds need to be rewritten from scratch? Yeah, talk to three different crazy. lawyers, you get three different answers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and you know you just and, and here's another here's another, here's a great source of operational alpha for us. Like you know, don't be a dick. If you respect a service provider's time and a weekend and nine to five, and you know, do your best when you can. Like they're gonna like working with it. They're gonna cut you a deal, you know, because they have plenty of clients uh, in New York that are you know sending me emails at eight o'clock on a Friday and asking them. And sometimes we have to do that, but you know that that to me has been the most surprising source of alpha, if you will. It's like just respect people's work-life balance and they will seek you out. Right. Um, so. Yeah. That, what, a, what a whirlwind of a career you've had with Alpha Architect from when we first met. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you finally, it's been. Found your niche yeah, and crushing you, it. you try some stuff, you pivot, you try some stuff, you pivot. You guys have been very open-minded and opportunistic. Uh, I, I think pretty commercial. Oh, it's been incredible. The journey that you guys have been on. Yep. Well, and, and to you guys too, I mean, I look at you guys, you know, as a bench, not benchmarking in, in a competitive way, but just, Hey, who's doing what? And one thing I really admire about your shop is just how the, the quality of content, but it's not just quality. It's like, it looks good. It's packaged. Well, it's deliverable to um, someone without a PhD. Right. And I've mm-hmm. always admired that about you guys. So, well, Rod's the design guy for sure. He's, he's yep, got definitely. that. You know. Well, Patrick, I, I, I mean it. Like I, I, I was telling my wife the other day that it's so rare. Literally, yesterday I was talking about your success, the Alpha Architect success, and how I was my like you. One, someone would see from the outside that we may be competitors. I never seen ourselves as that, but I literally was almost overjoyed with tears of your your success over the last few months. And, oh, thanks, guys. Uh, like you, you guys are an incredibly genuine team. Really love you guys, and I'm really proud mm-hmm. of what you guys have accomplished. And I'm sure you'll continue to create amazing things. This so, most recent win, especially like that, yeah. that, this is absolutely magnificent. We were all celebrating on your behalf. Yeah, we're really excited about the new lease we signed. I'm very excited. House that you're in with that. Yeah, we are getting yeah. an office. I'm stoked. We're getting like a real office. What? You, that's bathrooms. <laughs> End of an Not era, really. man. Are you are you really stoked? Yeah. Or are you a little bit disappointed? Yes. I don't know. You'll remember this with fondness. Yeah, no, it's yeah, good. Yeah, amen to that. Agreed. Yeah. Amen to that. I did love the uh, the the one uh, I think it was I can't remember it was a Twitter video or something you posted with the with the back test a guy sent you to launch an ETF back in the day. <laughs> that made me cry there you put it in the fireplace. That was beautiful. I like I get those emails too. Pray tell what was what was can you can you flesh that one out a little bit more? Yeah, so uh, Wes is like, we, we need to be funny, we need to be edgy, and 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 you don't have a PhD, so you had no intellectual value. Do something funny on camera. And I was like, okay. Adam says the same thing to Rod and I. 
so I made some video. He's coming back, by the way. Um, but I made some videos of like uh, basically a guy's like, oh, you have a back test and a good idea? Let me run that through our due diligence department. And I like pick up a stack of papers and then I like throw it in these roaring flames off camera. We will get right back to you. <laughs> like, like, you know, so, so you know, stuff like that. So I yeah, remember man. now. I like awesome. it. Bring him back. Was, yeah, we want him back. Yeah, he's going to come back. So I love but, um, it. Well, thanks for having us on, guys. It's, it's yeah, yeah, awesome. Thank you. And, yeah. uh, thanks for coming on last week. Catching up again. Insightful as always. Yeah. Congrats. And, uh, We'll chat again. And where, like everyone can find Alpha Architect, ET, where can they find the ETF Architect side of things? Is that on the Alpha Architect site? What, uh, uh, it's, how do it, people it, find you guys? Actually, Patrick, just summarize what that what exactly this is and who your target client is and what, what are you guys trying to build here? All right. So what are, we are targeting folks that are trying to launch ETFs, preferably folks with operating capital, you know, a, a reasonable roadmap to 50 million. You don't have to be iShares or BlackRock, but, you know, we, we try and find folks that, that have a distribution plan because distribution is the ETF business, like it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're just trying to build a co-op of good people that want to share in low cost. I mean, that's pretty much what we do. We say, look, um, you know, everybody has this fixed cost infrastructure. If we get good people, we trust good compliance operators. We can all just operate on a, on a much lower cost basis. And that, that's pretty much it. I mean, you just, we just want to build a never, never land of, of, of children trying to make it in this crazy world. Um, and I will say, edit that out. this is a really, lie, right? We can edit that out. Yeah, that's, that's going. I'm going to put in the beginning and the end. It's going to be like opening snippet. Um, with with, with I, like tiger lily and stuff. In the um, I think that the podcast you do with Meb, if anybody wants to get deep, really understand the journey, uh, the podcast that Meb did with Pat and uh, and Wes was absolutely amazing. Look it up and uh, and get into it. And do hit the like button before we all leave and yeah. uh, oh, God, subscribe we and share that. and all that fun stuff. Uh, Pat, thank you so much, man. That was, that was awesome. And uh, keep at it. Hopefully we'll see you in person soon, man. It's been too yeah. long. Well, I'll yeah, be yeah, in definitely. Puerto Rico in March. March eighth really? to the eighth, yeah. So are you gonna? Yeah, are you I'm gonna in Puerto Rico in spirit, lots of times. But, yeah. Uh, so you guys are in the Caymans, and mm-hmm. Wes is in Puerto Rico, and I'm in Philadelphia, which just makes me question all sorts of life choices. Yeah. Well. So, yeah. Yeah. But they're your choices, yeah. Pat. I know. Yeah. Are you American, What's Pat? Going on? I'm American. <laughs> I'm eligible for Canadian citizenship, though. My dad was born Ooh. in Alberta. Yeah. Well. I, I, yeah. Well, Let me Cayman. show you around Grand Cayman. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff guys thanks for the opportunity all right guys all right have thanks. a great See y'all. evening thanks for joining great... us on this friday Weekend. everyone thank you for listening to the gestalt university podcast you will find all the information we highlighted in this episode by visiting investresolve.com forward slash podcasts we also encourage you to engage with us on twitter by searching the handle at investresolve if you're enjoying the series please take the time to share us with your friends through email or social media And if you really learned something new and believe that this podcast would be helpful to others, we would be incredibly grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and see you next time.